Good morning. I wonder how many of you little people could tell me what it means to keep your heart in tune. We just sang it. What's it mean to keep your heart in tune? Maybe somebody littler than Elijah. What's that mean? To pray and read your Bible, yes. How does that have anything to do with keeping your heart in tune? We have a piano tuner in the building right now, don't we? Do you think it has anything to do with keeping an instrument in tune? Elijah, why don't you give a shot at it? What does it mean to keep your heart in tune? Okay, she just said it. So that's how you keep it in tune. But what's that mean, to keep your heart in tune? Anybody else have any ideas you want to contribute? Ms. Foltz? Yes, yes. So, so some of you couldn't hear that. She said that when a piano's out of tune, it doesn't sound good. It's not pleasant. It's not enjoyable. That's true for any instrument. Somebody gave my little girl a little ukulele this week, and it's a little toy ukulele, and here's the problem with it. You can't tune it. <laughs> it has tuning pens, but you can't tune it. Oh, my, it's unbearable because it's out of tune. It's, it's not pleasant to listen to. I mean, even if, no, even if a child picks up a guitar that's in tune, even just the strumming of it sounds nice. But, boy, if it's out of tune, ah! well, every time you pick up a guitar, you need to tune it. Every time you pick up a violin, you need to tune it. Boy, the violins sound awful when they're out of tune. Oh, my. Well, so our lives, do they sound awful? Do the things coming out of our mouths, the words we say, all that we say coming out of our mouths, does it sound pleasant? Is it pleasing to God? And here's another thing that I find interesting, is that how do you tune it? And to what do you tune it? Now, the piano tuner should probably get up and give this lesson, but, you know, when you tune this piano... As that piano has to all be tuned back to a particular note, and that note is A. But you can't just arbitrarily guess what A is tuned to. There is a standard by which that is tuned to, and you have a little tuning fork sometimes, or nowadays electronic devices, that measure it, and you tune to that tuning fork. And so if we are tuning our lives and keeping our hearts in tune, that means every day as we're reading the Bible, as we are praying, this is kind of like the tuning fork. Or some of you who maybe have a better illustration is that the piano is pretty stable compared to like your violins. So when you tune your violins, you tune it to the piano. Now, if the piano's got a bad standard, that's the piano tuner's fault or maybe your fault for not hiring the piano tuner to come tune it. But... Um, if the violin's out of tune, it's kind of your fault because you're not tuning it to the, to the standard. And so our lives, are we tuning it to the standard that God has given to us and that he has revealed? And it's just like that violin. If you don't tune it every time before you play, there's a problem. And that's one thing we can learn in our lives is that we're, we're not like the piano. At least I'll speak for myself. I go out of tune every day. 
I sometimes go out of tune every minute. And so I need to keep my heart in tune. And I know that by knowing God. I don't know. Um, Joel and I didn't compare notes, but the songs he picked this morning are exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. In our church covenant, we covenant together that we will maintain what we call secret and family devotions. Well, when we're singing and talking about praying and reading God's word, the Bible, those are two really important parts of devotions. Well, what are devotions? Well, we're going to talk about that later this morning in the morning message, uh, more specifically going through some of the things. But it's really about loving God, knowing God, fearing God, trusting God, praising God, talking to God, seeking God. Devotion is our relationship with God. Now, when there is someone you love, you seek them, you want to know them, you talk about them, you talk to them. Same is true in our relationship or should be our relationship with God. Are we devoted? Are we committed? Are we passionate? Are we always pursuing God? It is really important in our lives to keep our hearts in tune, in tune with God. Do our lives carry a sweet harmony with God or are whenever we do things in conflict with what God has revealed of who God is? Do we seek and love God with all of our hearts, all of our minds, and with all of our strength? We call this devotion. Now, sometimes people take it, and partly because of songs like this, we sing these songs about read your Bible and pray. But I let you in on a little hint. Devotion is so much more than simply reading the words in your Bible and saying words in prayer. Now, this is part of it. In fact, this is a very base part of it. But it's first and foremost what's in our heart. Does our heart desire to know God? Does our heart desire to hear from God? Does our heart desire to seek and love and know him? And it's very important for us as individuals and as a family and really as a church to be devoted to knowing God and to love him with all of our hearts. And we talk about this in two important realms. The first is secret, and the second is with your family. Now, what is secret? Well, secret is what is there between just you and God. You know what? We can fool other people as to what we think or how we act, but we can't fool God. He knows everything. And so is our relationship with God the secret relationship? The real me, the part nobody knows, is the secret me, devoted to God. Do I love God and seek him and seek to keep my heart in tune with him? 
That's really important that each one of us individually, it doesn't matter about your wife or your husband or your mom or your dad. What about me? Me. Do I love God and am I seeking him with all of my heart? That's where it begins and that's where it's most important. But you know, if we are devoted to God secretly, it's not going to stay a secret. Do you know that? It's not going to stay a secret. People are going to know. And not in a hypocritical or a fake way. Well, they might, but eventually they'll figure out that it's a hypocritical or a fake way. But when it's a secret devotion, it will be known. And the first and the most important place for it to be known is in the family, is in your home. And actually, that's the one place where you won't get away with being fake. Because everybody kind of sort of knows you and knows all your problems. And that's why it's the most important place for us to show what is our true devotion. What, is the th what are the things or who do we really, really love? And if we are devoted to God, our families should be seen that we're devoted to God. And do we together as families seek God? There's a famous verse in the New Testament. I think you know it. Can you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians chapter 6 gives a special command to children. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This week I heard about a children's book, and so I looked it up online to see if I could find any reviews, or really what I really wanted to do is I wanted to see if I could read it for free to see if it was worth spending the money on it. And um, it was a really interesting book. I never did find an actual sample of it, but I found this little YouTube video about it where somebody was giving a review on it. And I first started watching the review, and I'm like, this is a little bit off, this is a little bit off. And I kept, I, I kept bearing with it, hoping I might get to actually see what the book was. And finally, this lady who was giving this review, she just up in the middle of it before she even gets on. She goes, I just got to tell you this. I don't believe in teaching my children to obey. I said, I don't think I'm going to keep watching this video. Click off. But it kind of shocked me because this was a woman who was a mother who was professing to be a Christian. And I was quite surprised that she was talking as a Christian, but yet just straight up says this. Now, I listened long enough for her reason why she quote-unquote doesn't teach her children to obey because she has this idea that all authority, or most of the time, well, she actually, she, she wasn't real clear. These, they aren't real clear, so I can't really say exactly what she was saying. But she was implying that because authority is so easily corrupted, it's a bad thing to teach children or anybody to just obey. And it was really hard to listen to it, and that's why I kind of shut it off, because I remember here what God says in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long upon the earth. It's important to obey. And isn't it interesting that right after here this command is given to children, fathers are given a command. For it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture 
and admonition of the Lord. The admonition of the Lord are really those commands or instructions, sometimes rebukes, that are from God. Well, here we see one of those admonitions of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So fathers teach their children to obey the Lord, to obey their parents. And here it is in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What's nurturing? What's admonition of the Lord? Well, we're going to learn what those things are from the Bible. We're going to learn what those things are from the Bible. When God nurtures us, how does he do that? And how can fathers model after God? Well, God loves people, doesn't he? Do fathers love their children? God teaches children, all his people, truth. Do fathers teach their children truth? God provides for people. Do fathers provide for their children? Not just things to eat and shelter, but the spiritual things they need. Truth, teaching, character, discipline. These are all things that God provides as he's nurturing us. Do we as fathers do the same? It's an important part of it. And one of the ways that a father can teach his children the nurture and admonition of the Lord is by teaching his children first by example, second by doing with them devotion to God. Now, have you ever heard this phrase, did you do your devotions today? I don't know what I think of that phrase or that question. Because real devotion, the whole idea of devotion, is being devoted to. So it's not something that is, check, done with that, go on with the day. No, if you're, so I'm trying to think of it because I'm starting to get to the age of where my children, I want to teach them in secret devotion, so to speak. But yet, I don't want you to think that it's something you just check off in the morning and all done. So really it is, are we devoted to God today? It's an all-day thing. It's really an all-night thing. It's an all-life thing of being devoted to God. But you know, it sometimes, I shouldn't say that it sometimes, it always has to be intentional. Now, that's a big word for some of you kids, intentional. I'm not quite sure how to explain that word. It's something that you, you purpose to do. It's something that's on purpose. It's something you are desiring to do. But again, it's not just something that you do. It's something that is developed, and it's something that's inside you. Really, it's a love for God. And it begins by knowing him. And so family devotions are very important. And you know what? We need each other for it. Take your Bibles and turn to a really important verse. 
over in Hebrews chapter 3. There are actually two really important verses in Hebrews that talk to us about how we need each other. Many, many, many people, I think, hear and know the one that's over in Hebrews chapter 10. Can anybody think of or maybe even quote the verse in Hebrews chapter 10 that teaches us we need each other? Anybody know that verse or what verse I'm talking about? Yes, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but what do we do instead? But we are exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching, the day of Jesus coming back. I would say, as another note, if you're looking at how to describe or understand what it means to have devotions, is that you're always watching. Devotions is always watching always watching for Jesus to come back. That's one of the parts of devotions. And so here we need each other. We need the church. That's what this is talking about. We don't forsake this assembling together. We do it most frequently and consistently on the first day of the week. This is really an important time of exhorting one another, encouraging. We need each other. But did you know that Sunday's not enough? Sunday's not enough. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 3 and let's look at verse 13. It says here, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. How often is this supposed to be? Daily. Daily. Now, we don't have a model of it presented in the New Testament of the whole church gathering together daily. It's very specifically, primarily, and significantly given as the first day of the week. So what's this? I submit to you that one way this is fulfilled, not the only way, but one way this is fulfilled and probably the most significant is by family devotions. That is that you have mom and dad and kids where you are spending time together exhorting one another, encouraging one another every single day while it is called today. Every day. Why? Because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And we live in a world that is filled with lies. And, and you know what? Sin, sin, those things that are against God's ways, sometimes we see them and we think that they're pretty or fun. And it's all a lie. And sometimes we are walking through our days and we get caught up in thinking sin is pretty or fun or not so bad. And we are deceived. And you know what we need? 
we need a brother or sister in Christ who might be, and very frequently are, real brothers and sisters to exhort us, moms and dads, to exhort us, to show us that, listen, that's a deceitfulness of sin. That's not pretty. That's not fun. That's not good. That's not pleasing to God. And we need that encouragement every single day. And a very special way of this is by being intentional, or as he said, on purpose about it. Do we spend time together seeking to know God, to keep our hearts in tune? See, I'll tell you what happens sometimes. We get the idea that sin that we're doing sounds pretty, and it's not. It's not at all. And sometimes we're going along fiddling through life, you know, fiddling through life, and we think it sounds just great and dandy until we actually get with other instruments that are in tune, and then it sounds awful. That's why we need the other instruments who are in their secret devotions in tune with God. And when we are playing along with them, we realize, oh my, I'm not in tune. And we help each other. We exhort each other to be in tune with God. This is so important. It is so important because we are so easily led astray. And so how do we do this? Well, again, devotions isn't just something you do. But now you're going to think, wait, so what is it if it's not something I do? Well, let's start with some things that it is doing, okay? If you're loving God and you're knowing God, how do you know him? How do you know him? Well, you know him by communicating with him, right? If, if you never communicate with somebody, you'll never know them. So you know God as he speaks to you through his word and the teaching of the Holy Spirit through his word. And you talk to him in prayer. That's how you know God. And as you know him, you will love him more. And so it begins by spending time communicating with God. Now, we do that first and foremost, most importantly, in secret. Just me and God. But it's very important also for us to do it together as families and do it daily together to be seeking God. Now, I think most of you would all readily agree that spending time reading the Bible together as a family and spending time praying together as a family is a good thing. I could probably have you all raise your hands, and most of you would raise your hands, either outwardly or inwardly. You would agree. You would agree it's important to spend time with God, reading his word, the Bible, and praying. So why don't we? Why don't we? I can't answer that question for you. You have to answer that question. Why don't we? I read a teacher from a long time ago, 
back in the 1600s, who said to his people as he was appealing to them on, on family devotions, family worship, and he said, he said, may I, may I poke your conscience? And will you let your conscience poke you to know what is true? You see, we could talk about this, and I'll tell you one of the most dangerous things is we could all come together and say, yeah, I don't got a problem with that. I, we're good at family devotions, right? Be careful about doing that if you're not. Because who are the people that around you really know? Your children. In sincerity, do we put a priority on knowing God? Spending time doing just in obeying this command to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So we believe this. Will we obey it? This preacher I told you about from the 1600s, he offered a suggestion as to why we sometimes don't do what we know to be right. And it's really interesting. He uses a concept that's not popular today. He suggested that it may have to do with the fact that we do not have a fear of God. We don't have a fear of God. And he went on and he illustrated it like this. He said, do you fear going hungry? Did you, you, you probably, most of us as Americans don't really always have that necessarily in this modern time period. Some do, by the way, especially children in modern America, even within this own little neighborhood. But many people don't necessarily have that as a fear. But actually, you all do. It's just so normal to you, and it's so, actually may say, healthy to you, that you don't even realize it's a fear. Why do you think you get up and go to work? Think about it. You get up and you go to work because you're afraid of going hungry. Now you think, no, I'm not. Ah, do you see, though, how there's a difference between fear? Sometimes we think of this fear that's just debilitating fear. Oh, you know, that's what fear is. And sometimes we get that idea. And that kind of fear is a bad kind of fear. You know, if, if you're afraid of going hungry and you go in your closet and you just go like this, I'm afraid of being hungry, you're going to be hungry and you're going to deserve to be hungry. But you see how the fear of hunger can have the positive side? It's why when you don't even feel like it, you still get up and you go to work because you're afraid of being hungry. Oh. This preacher from a few hundred years ago, you would have thought he lived in America right now in the 21st century and all the wealth and prosperity. He said that you have a fear of your idols, your stuff that you want, your possessions. I never thought of it this way myself. I mean, who, who ever thought of the stuff a car is something we fear. Or you, you decide, you pick what it is. What is it? 
your IRA, your, your 401k? What, what, what is it? You think of it as something you fear? Well, if you're serving it and you are devoted to it and it displaces your fear of God, then you fear it. It's like your little God. What are we devoted to? Well, if we fear it, it motivates us. We think, wait a minute. Well, that's the reason why fear is that little interesting word that sometimes carries with it the idea of reverence, respect, and fear. It's all tied in together with each other. Do we have a reverence and a respect for these things and for our possessions or for God? Do we fear God? If we fear God, it will motivate us in our being devoted to him, in loving him, in communicating with him, in serving him. Now, I'm not saying, in fact, actually, it's, going to work is a very good thing. In fact, actually, if you're fearing God, you're going to be working. That's kind of what he created us for. And, and so there's lots of things that we need to do. But is it first and foremost because we fear God and we are devoted to him? And we worship him, glorify him in everything that we do, whatever we say, whatever we think, whatever we do, even whatever we eat, is everything to his glory. Are we devoted to him? And yet another reason why we sometimes aren't devoted to him is because we don't know him. We don't know him. And our children don't know him. And that's one reason why we sing in these songs and when we think of devotions, it does, may I say, begin with reading your Bible, praying every day. That's where it begins, but it can't stop there. You have to read your Bible, pray every day, and then every day through the day live what you read and what you were praying. Live seeking and fearing and worshiping God. And so it's very good for your day to begin that way. So we have family devotions. We have time together as a family in seeking God. And the responsibility of this and leading this is right on us, dads. And moms help us. It's on us to lead our children in seeking God, to be teaching our children to read their Bibles, pray every day, in secret by modeling it and doing it together. And we need to be exhorting each other together daily because the deceitfulnesses of sin will really meddle with us. And so we need to be encouraging one another. And that's the reason why then it continues on to Hebrews chapter 10. That's why we gather together as family at church together. The church is together because we're doing the same thing we should be doing at home throughout the week. And though sometimes, you know, let's use the tuning illustration again. Um, you may get a little, little orchestra that's all in tune with itself that's all out of tune with God. And sometimes when you then come together with others, you ever seen that? I've known and heard stories of these violinists up here. It was so funny at home. My brother Lawrence was so passionate about getting the piano tuned at home because he'd say, whenever I go to church, I have to retune my violin, something terrible, because at home, the piano is so far out of tune compared to this one. 
And then he would take it and he'd go over to Notre Dame and sometimes get tuned up to one of their pianos. And oh, he used to be so frustrated when there were all these different standards. Well, did you see? He, no, he never had a problem during the week because if he was in tune with himself, he was all good. And if he was in tune when he would play with Carice, they were all good at home. But then they'd come to church. Oh, we needed that. We needed that. And that's what Hebrews 10 is describing of why we need to not be forsaking the assembling ourselves together. As a church, we need that to keep in tune. So what can we do as dads and moms in family devotions? Well, first of all, let's be intentional about it. Let's do it on purpose. Let's plan to do it. And you know what? This is something that your family needs to have a conversation about because it's going to be different in all of your cultures and your family life. Some of you may find that it works early in the morning. Some of you may, it may be late, late, late at night. Some of you, it may be right after breakfast. Some of you, it may be right after dinner. Sometimes it might be in the middle of the day. What is it that works for you, for you, for your family? Think about it. How does that work? In our house, I purposely shifted kind of to a work schedule of second shift. And so growing up, for me, there was a little bit of what we had Bible reading devotions that were separate, but Bible reading would take place in the morning. Dad was at work during that time. And, um, and now, though, when we have a family... Um, I kind of work second shift, and so our ideal time for devotions is right after breakfast. Others may find it right after supper, because you ideally want mom and dad to be there, right? Ideally. Now, let me give you a little note and caution. Just because somebody can't be there occasionally, don't not do it, because not everybody's there. Still spend the time together of those who are present and if it becomes, starts to be more regular that not everybody can be together, then you need to have another family meeting and say, when's the best time we can do this together? Again, maybe shuffle it, maybe change it. And newsflash, all you homeschool moms who like the routine and get it all settled, eventually your kids start to get jobs. Oh, no. All these times and strategies of being together all kind of shift and change. It's life. So there might be those times where they miss, but that's the time when you kind of sit back and go, how does this reshuffle? How can we reshuffle it and strategize to be on purpose, to be intentional about it? Now, did you know that there are some people who don't have families or in their families there's no one who is a Christian? Can I encourage you? Seek to live Hebrews 3.13 in some way in your life, even if it's using your phone, you need someone. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, marriage is one really incredible design God has for that not to be so. But if marriage is not in the immediate plan or is never in the plan, it's not good for man to be alone, and you need to be spending time with someone, even if it's your phone. You do it with your sister, even though your sister lives an hour and a half away. To spend that time daily encouraging and exhorting one another, you need to find someone in your life, in your family, that you're doing this with.
So perhaps you're one who's like, don't have a family. Don't worry. There are a full family here. And I know for a fact that if you were in that way and you had some, you wanted to spend time reading a psalm together or a proverb together and praying together with somebody over the phone, I imagine you could pick a lot of different people in this room right now who'd be willing to say, you know what, I'm willing to do that with you. That's an important part. Do we spend time together? One of the most basic parts of devotions is knowing God, and we know him through his word. And so what are some ideas of how we can spend time in the word? I highly, highly encourage you as families to make it a priority of on some kind of a schedule reading through the entire Bible. Now, you got to be careful. We have tried to do this in our family. And you know what? When you're reading in certain parts of Leviticus and when you're reading in certain parts of the prophets, you don't really always understand what you're reading. And that doesn't mean that you never spend time studying. Sometimes devotions is spending time studying too. But sometimes you just finish reading and, and, and you don't understand. And when you don't understand, Jesus talks about the seed of the word being spread. And when you don't understand, the birds come and they take it away. It can be taken away. And so it's very important for you to identify parts of scripture and to be balanced in your diet, balanced in your diet. Again, I highly, highly am passionate about the need for the whole scriptures. All scriptures are profitable. And to have a diet in all the scriptures, especially even for children, all the way up. I am so thankful that was a priority in my home growing up. So thankful. I, it's, it's one of the number one things that results in the spiritual growth of people is the whole scriptures. But at the same time, as I said, sometimes we're reading the prophets. Those are the times where maybe you need to add a proverb in every day too or a psalm in every day, or while you're reading through um, Zephaniah, tag on a little bit of Matthew or Mark or Luke or one of the Gospels or one of the New Testament epistles. Because the whole point of this is not to check, I read my whole Bible this year. It is about devotion. It is about being devoted to God, knowing God. And it very much, if you're going to know God, you need to know his word, his word, and praying. Several years ago, I had this little thing. I don't do it anymore because my house is full. But um, I used to go to Goodwill, and I would set a timer, and I'd spend five minutes looking through all their books. And because, um, you know, I had to set a timer, because if I didn't set a timer, it would take longer than five minutes. And years ago, I was in Goodwill, and I found this little tiny little book, Creative Family Times. And I had forgotten about it until I began to think through how I was going to share some things from this. And it's, it's actually a really, really um, interesting little book. I wonder, have any of you ever seen this book published by Moody? Creative Family Times. That does not surprise me. There's a chapter in here called Devotion Time and Family Devotions. And what's really intriguing about this little booklet is it goes through and it gives ideas. Ideas. No, no. Not checklists, not rules, ideas of how you can live and do certain things in your family life. Now, it talks about your preschooler. I actually picked this up, I think, when Faith was still a baby. And, um, and, and it's about your preschooler. But as I was reading through it again recently, I was like, this is not preschooler. This is like 
the guy who's in his 40th year kind of stuff. It's right there. So, because here, that's the thing that's what's true about devotions. Devotions is, is true from the littlest, youngest Christian to the oldest, most mature Christian. It's that simple building relationship. And this book has some interesting little ideas. Just explaining what devotion time is, about spending time with God, about the Word of God, and about prayer today. There's a little section here talking through, when do you have family devotions, and how does it work, and what do you do, and different ages, and so forth. You know, you may supplement it with Bible reading, but you may have other little devotional books. You know, there's the daily bread, there's, um, there's the days of praise, there's other little devotional books, or other calendarized books that can help you. They never replace this. Remember that. If it says to read such and such a passage, if you can't have time to do both, read the passage and forego the devotional probably that day because this is the priority. This is the priority. But there's all kinds of little things like that. There's little devotionals that can be written for children that are helpful. I, I don't just give them to my kids unless I've previewed them, and that's an important part of it because this is about teaching your children. There's, there's Bible storybooks. They're interesting. Again, you want to look at those ahead of time and read through them ahead of time. There's all kinds of different ways you can do this with children and parents. And in this little book, they go through and talk about some of those things, of reading the Bible storybooks together, of doing different kinds of things together. And there's another part of it, singing together. Do we sing together? When we're talking through a history of a narrative, are we all engaged in it together? You know, if one kid's over here on his phone kids with phones. Isn't that interesting? Over here on his phone, and, 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 and what is on that phone? Um, and then over here, this, are we doing it together? Sometimes it may be helpful to take a psalm or something and look for the paragraph breaks, and one person read one paragraph, and the next person read the next paragraph. It doesn't always work with verses, but sometimes it does. And to read it together, it's actually really cool as they get older to start to have them try to figure out and identify where the breaks are as they're reading and to help to transfer and to get them involved in it together, all together in reading the Bible. Something that's interesting in this book that I thought was really astute as an experience is they suggest making it a goal of having family devotions three to five times a week. Now you might say, wait a minute, that's contradictory. You were just telling us daily, weren't you? Yes, I was. But you know what's interesting? We all, as human beings, have little problems of consistency. And then we have little problems of idealism. And we are weird when we have something we know that is good to do. And if we can't do it perfect, we don't do it at all. That's a problem. And so they kind of recognize that in human nature. And so you make it a goal three to five times a week. And really, may I say, you could make it as a goal of every day, but here's the thing. Don't quit because you're still having a problem being consistent. Don't quit. Keep on keeping on. When you stop, start back up. I remember when we were kids sometimes, we would, we would break off in, in family devotions. It wasn't all, always consistent. It wasn't. Just fact. It wasn't always consistent. And it was really funny. We would start, and it seemed like we would, whenever we would start back up, with particularly we'd start back in the Proverbs, just so it happened it'd be on the seventh of the month and we'd be reading Proverbs 7. If you know your Proverbs, that's one of the more awkward Proverbs. And it was just 
oh my, we didn't do this for a while, then you start right back up there. Or Proverbs 5, that's another one of the awkward ones. Or maybe those are just the times I remember because they were the awkward ones. But start back up. Start back up. Don't, don't just get frustrated that you've not been consistent or that you're somehow a, a hypocrite, and so just don't do it at all. Make it a goal of daily, but don't beat yourself up or give up because you're not consistent. Another part of it is praying, praying. I've been convicted in this one because so often when we pray together as a family, there's only certain categories of prayer we pray together as a family, aren't there? Typically the thanking and the asking. What about the confessing? Now, that is a very real part of what we may say secret devotions. That same preacher I talked about from the 1600s, he talked of how we, we seek business together and we do our farming together and we do our sinning together. Why don't we do our confessing together? When there's quarreling or there's bickering, when there's troubles and problems, when there's anger, when there's selfishness, yes, it's secret, but why are we also not doing it together? If we're doing our sinning together, the way this preacher put it, are we doing our confessing together? And it's actually a real thing because it causes us to be humble. Are we seeking God and loving him and knowing him and keeping our relationships with him real? Real. Use discernment as moms and dads. Be careful. But nonetheless, it's important. Are we together exhorting one another daily for what the deceitfulness of sin and so if the deceitfulness of sin has caught us, we need to together be admitting it, confessing it, and by God's grace, moving forward in what is right. So we know we want it, don't we? Let's be on purpose about it. And don't beat yourself up in guilt. Don't be a hypocrite. Just confess We've not been doing it right. We've not been devoted. And then be devoted. Seek him today and go forward. We have our church covenant. We're together. We covenant together to maintain secret and family devotions. If you have trouble with consistency, don't be a hypocrite about it. Maybe you need to find another brother or sister outside of the family who will exhort you so much the more to be devoted in your daily lives. One who is, when you come together on Sunday, can exhort you to be the dad who is leading children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, leading the family in devotions, leading the family to be devoted. You see again how we all can work together? That's why it's here. It's why it's a part of our covenant is because 
we all know how big of a struggle we have for consistency. And, and don't just go on just saying, well, you know, we got a problem, but hush, hush it. Be humble. Let's be humble. And seek help and accountability, encouragement, exhorting. That's part of the reason why it's a part of the covenant, to strengthen each other, to encourage us, because the deceitfulness of sin is there and will get us all caught up. We don't have a lot of time left, but I wonder if some of you have ideas of how family devotions, of how moms and dads can lead the family in loving and seeking God. Anybody have anything that's just like, I've always found this helpful? And let me, let me encourage you. I, I know what the father of lies will do in your hearts at this very moment. He'll say, you can't say that because you've been the most inconsistent person I know on doing what you think is such a great idea. It's kind of where I'm at. Just because it's, you haven't been consistent doesn't mean it's not a great idea that we can exhort one another in, even humbly. So my idea is, Brother Ray, you had your hand up. Hmm. He said, they showed us that they loved each other openly. And I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's going to be 50 next year. And uh, that's great. And my younger son, he got right with God. He's going to church regularly. You can see the change. Uh, I mean, when he prays, at the meal when we're together now, it's amazing. He knows. He knows God. Mm. 
can share that with your family, you can share that with others, and oh my, you did well today. And that's what it's all about. The Bible is real, and God wants you to live it, and it works. Amen. I Amen. You maybe didn't hear all of that, but the gist of it was, be the example in living the word. And I loved the part where you've, you, you hinted at it, in that when you're as a dad and you're out working through the day, living the word, come home and share your experiences with your children. I have many lessons of life I learned by my dad at work, coming home and sharing experiences of things that he saw in other lives or even in his own experiences of that day that I carry with me even to this day. Thank you. Anyone else have something you'd like to share? Ms. Pam. Yes, yes. Variety. I'd like to point that out again, also, so you all can hear the aspect of how parents did different things and different things and different ages did different things. And then when the younger one came along after the others were grown up, did different things for that younger one. But another part that she pointed out that's really important is not only do you bring home the experiences of living the word and teaching those, but you take the experiences within the family itself and you bring in the applications to it. You all have had things, good and bad, happen in your home this week, and very few of you told anybody outside of the family those problems. I certainly don't know them. 
And so I can't stand up here and Sometimes people say, did so-and-so call you this week about such and such? I'm like, I had no idea. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works that way. But here's how the Holy Spirit can really work that way is when you already know those struggles or those issues within your home, bringing the truth to light in those particular situations that are your family experiences, your work experiences, your school experiences. She shared the news, appropriately talking about the news Oh my, are there a lot of topics to talk about in the news? I mean, just start with the front page. And you have lots of lessons of sociology and theology right there on the first page. Not even count going into anything else. All of this are aspects or teaching opportunities that you have from your own experiences. So it's not just about reading and praying, but then taking the reading that's very specific to family experiences and praying about those family experiences. Yes, yes. We're out of time. Oh, go ahead. Yes, amen. Bookending the day, morning, evening. A little idea that's given in the book here is, is that sometimes there may be something where dad's off and gone to work in the morning, um, even before breakfast sometimes, and the idea given here is that you, even mom can lead in something that's one way in the morning. It, uh, an idea that they do is like they do like Bible storybooks in the morning, and then they do the Bible reading together in the evening when dad's home. And that's another way of, yeah, the bookending idea is, is really good. Somebody touched on something else I just want to highlight here. There's another aspect of family devotions, so to speak, and prayer together that, that you don't want to neglect, and that's husband and wife time. There's a little bit of the sense in which secret devotions is, is indeed one and one with God, but that secret devotions oftentimes can include a spouse not necessarily always, and sometimes not always, but there's a huge part in which that is what will bring together. You are one. There is a oneness that can come there. And when that secret devotion is shared with your spouse in a oneness, um, it can be very, very healthy for the marriage relationship. Um, that old preacher again, he spoke of how the fact that when you husband and wife pray together, he says you can learn about your wife because she will say things to God she may not say to you. And um, I kind of thought, hmm, that was interesting to say about the wife. I could see that maybe with the husband and the stereotype of today, but um, it was you will learn your spouse because they'll talk to God a little differently than they'll talk to you. I thought that was intriguing, and it's true. It's true. Well, we're out of time here this morning, but let's the conversation continue as we exhort one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. Gracious God, we pray to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can know you. May we truly love you with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. May we be devoted to you that you might glorify yourself in us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.